Well, welcome, everybody. We're glad that you're here. I want to welcome everybody who's here and also those who are watching us on the live feed. We're glad that you're with us as well. And I also want to welcome everybody who's watching us on television. We're beginning a brand new series called Fake It or Fix It. We're going to look at certain areas of our life that we can't afford to fake anymore, that we have to look at these areas and we have to fix these areas of our life. Now, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm not real good with tools. If you've been around here for any amount of time, you know that, right? My dad was good with tools. My wife is good with tools. Probably you are good with tools, but me, not so much. Remember, I'm the guy who glued his hands together. We're not going to go back to that story again, but remember that, right? I'm, I'm not really good with tools. I'm more of a duct tape kind of fix-it kind of guy, all right? We got any other duct tape kind of fix-it kind of people? Duct tape and WD-40. That's where it's at right there. You can fix anything with duct tape and WD-40. You don't believe me. Let me show you what some things that duct tape will do. If you've got a messed up bumper, super simple, all you got to do is just apply some duct tape right there, and the bumper mysteriously looks fantastic. Hey, you missing a door on your car? Don't worry about it because duct tape is the answer, my friend. How about this? You got a flat tire. Yeah. <laughs> Do not try this at home, okay? Some guy did that. You got a misbehaving child. Duct tape them. I was fearful of putting this picture out because I know there's going to be some guy watching me going, that is genius right there. The next time my child acts up, just slap him to the wall. That's, do not try that at home, all right? How about this one? Sunglasses are broken. No problem. Just use a little bit of duct tape. How about your street in front of your house? Duct tape. This is the way Albuquerque fixes their streets. You understand that right there. Now, there's lots of different uses for duct tape, and duct tape isn't a wonderful, wonderful miracle product, but duct taping your spiritual life, not a good idea, not a good idea at all. There was a pastor, his name was J.D. Greer, and J.D. was out at a park, and he was playing a little basketball game, and he doing a little one-on-one. -on -one. He had seen this guy at the park before, and the guy kind of had a filthy mouth, always kind of talked about his different sexual exploits with different, different ladies. And, and, and so J.D. was playing one-on-one. -on -one. They got done with the game. They sat down. They started having a little Gatorade. And, and J.D. thought it might be important to share the difference that Jesus had made in his life with the guy. And so he begins to share how Jesus has made a difference in his life and how Jesus can make a difference in, in this guy's life as well. And he gets about three sentences in, and the guy says, whoa, whoa. Whoa, wait a second. He said, are you witnessing to me? Now, J.D. was taken back a little bit. This was not the kind of guy that you would think would know his way around the Bible or know the term witnessing. And J.D. said, well, as a matter of fact, I, I, I guess I am. Yeah, I'm witnessing to you. And the guy said, that is awesome. It has been years since someone has witnessed to me. Hey, but don't, don't worry about me at all. When I was a kid, I went to this church camp, and at the end, I went forward, and I prayed this little prayer, and so me and God were good. Now, that happened when I was about 13 years old, and then a couple of years later, I discovered sex, and I didn't like the idea of some God way out in the distance telling me who I could and couldn't have sex with. So I kind of put that whole Jesus stuff on the back burner. And I guess you would say right now, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a happy atheist. He said, but don't worry about me. 
The church camp that I went to was a Southern Baptist church camp. And they taught once saved, always saved. So if you're right and there is a God, because I prayed that little prayer, I'm so good to go. I'm going to go to heaven. And if you're wrong, well, I didn't have to curve my sexual appetites for a God that doesn't exist. So I'm covered either way. And then he threw the ball to JD and said, your turn. Is that possible? Is that what true spirituality is all about? Because there are millions, literally millions of people who say they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you can't tell it by the way that they're living their life. And for all the folks out there who are watching me right now, and that kind of describes where you're at, you want just enough Jesus to save you, but not enough Jesus to change you, I want you to hear these haunting words in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says, but he who does. I was reading a book the other day by Kyle Eidelman called Not a Fan. In the book, he talks about how we've grown so accustomed to saying one thing and then living our life in a completely different way. We say we believe one thing, but our actions show that we really don't believe the things that we say. Let's see if this might be true about you. We say that physical fitness is important, right? That we want to have good health. I mean, if we did a survey and we said, hey, how many of you would say that, man, exercising Eating right, very, very important. Just about every hand that's from go, oh, absolutely, that's very important. We should be very healthy. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we should be extremely healthy. Yes. But did you know that the number one selling food at state fairs is a bacon cheeseburger with uh, two Krispy Kreme donuts for buns? Did you know that? Here's a picture of it right there. If you want that bacon dipped in chocolate, it costs a little bit more. Looks delicious, doesn't it? It's like I'm going to bite into it right now. See, we say that it's super important that we stay physically healthy and physically fit, but you haven't seen the gym in a long time. You haven't seen a salad in a long time. See, it's easy to say the right thing, but to live it out is a whole nother deal. And let me give you another one. You say your family is super important. Say, oh, my family, priority of my life. I'm next to Jesus, my family. But you're taking a job. You're going to move your family cross country. You know that the new job means that you're not going to be home very much. And they're only going to pay you a few thousand dollars more. Is family really the priority? Or do our actions say something else. You, you see, it's easy to say, I believe in Jesus. But does your life back that up? I mean, it's one thing to confess Jesus with your mouth, but do you confess him with your life? And there are millions of people who are duct taping their spiritual lives together and they're still empty inside and they just don't get what a commitment and a relationship to Jesus is all about. And I know, I know that there's lots of people who are like that because I was once like that. Now, some of you are brand new to Sagebrush. I know a whole bunch of folks watching on TV, watching on the stream. You're brand new to Sagebrush. You don't know my story. If you've been around for a while and you know my story of how I gave my life to Christ, you, you just kind of act like you've never heard it before and have a good time with it, okay? 
I, I didn't have a clue about what it was to have a relationship with Jesus. And I should have. I grew up in the church. My parents dragged me to church week after week after week after week. And, and I sat up in the cheap seats where some of you were sitting right now as far away from the preacher as I possibly could. Because he was boring and I didn't want to be there. And my parents made me come. And so I sat way far back in the cheap seats. And we would play games. You know, we'd play hangman, tic-tac-toe. We'd play mash. Do you remember mash? Find out where you're going to live. You know, it's going to be a mansion, an apartment, a shed, or a house. What kind of car you're going to drive, who you're going to marry, how many kids you're going to have, how much money. Do you remember MASH? Anybody remember MASH? Am I the only one? Oh, some of you did. You played in church too, didn't you? That's what you did right there. I'd be back there. I wouldn't ever be listening to what that preacher had to say. I was nine years old. He wasn't wasn't preparing his messages for a nine-year-old kid, so I was bored to death playing games with my friends. But then one day that preacher was on fire. He was talking about a place called hell where people burn and burn and burn forever. And it got my attention. I kind of put the games aside. And I thought, wait, wait, wait a second. This is, this is some serious stuff he's talking about. I, 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 don't, I don't want to go to hell. But I didn't have a clue as to how to get to heaven. For the next six days, I walked around my house just absolutely confused. I didn't understand what I had just heard. I couldn't make sense of it. And, and so I waited till, uh, as long as I could. And on Saturday morning, the day before uh, Sunday, I, I went into the kitchen where my mom was at. And she was making something. And, and I said, Mom, I don't want to go to hell. And she said, I don't want you to go to hell either. And that was good news for me. Because there were many times that she had said that's exactly where she wanted me to go. <laughs> I'm just kidding around. She never said that. She probably thought it, but she never said it, Okay. She said, I don't want you to go to hell either. I said, well, I don't know how to get to heaven. She said, I can tell you how to get to heaven. I said, would you tell me how to get to heaven? She said, absolutely. So she ran back to the bedroom, got, grabbed her Bible. She came out, and she explained to me how Jesus had down a cross for my sins, and, and that I needed to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins. And, and if I prayed this little prayer, she said that I, I would get to go to heaven when I died. And I was so excited. That, that's all I got to do, just pray a little prayer. She said, that's it, just pray a little prayer, and you're good to go. And I said, that's it, just pray a little prayer. She said, just pray a little prayer. I said, okay, then I'll pray a little prayer, and she started the prayer, Dear Heavenly Father. I said, Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. I just repeated right after her. And then I got to the end. I said, In Jesus' name. And she said, In Jesus' name, amen. And I'll never forget it. She looked at me, and she said, You're good to go. And I said, That's it? She said, That's it. I said, Whew. Dodged a bullet with that one. I tell you what, that's awesome. Don't have to worry about hell anymore. I got that in my back pocket. That's, that's incredible. She said, Now, tomorrow when we go to church, I want you to let everybody know about it. In my church, at the end of the service, there would be an altar call where people would walk down the, the aisle and they would stand at the very front and they would talk to the preacher for a minute and then the preacher would introduce them as to what decision they had made for Jesus. She said, I want you to come forward. And I said, I don't want to come forward. And she said, why don't you want to come forward? And I said, I'm scared to death of that preacher. He, he flails his arms all the time. One time he had a big glass of water up there and he hit the water and it made a rainbow. And it was, I mean, I, I, this guy scared me to death. I didn't want anything to do with it. She said, you will go forward. I said, oh, oh, oh Okay. So I'm back in the cheap seats, you know, playing my games because I'm not listening to what that preacher has to say. Because I'm good to go. I'm, I'm going to heaven when I die now. I prayed the prayer. I'm good. So I'm way back in the back, you know. And so it's time for us. And so everybody, we all stand. And we start to sing the closing song. This is the time when people can come forward and make decisions, join the church, receive Christ, get baptized, etc. And I'm not moving. Because I'm scared to death of that preacher. There's no way I'm going to go down there. And my mom had positioned herself in the choir loft. And she was giving me the evil eye. And as each verse (laughs) went by, she got more and more intense. And it was like laser lights were piercing out of her eyes into my forehead. It's like, you come forward now. 
And so I did. I, I came forward and the preacher said, what are you up here for? And I just cried because I was scared. He said, do you want to give your life to Jesus? Here's what I found. If you say yes enough times at the front of a church, you get to go to heaven. You here to give your life to Jesus? Yes. Do you know that you're a sinner? Yes. Do you want to ask Jesus to come in your life, forgive you of your sins? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead for you? Yes. Do you want to pray right now and ask Jesus in your life? Yes. So I got to say yes five times, you're good to go. So I prayed the same prayer again. Dear Heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And boom, he said, you're good to go. He's the preacher. You ought to know, right? And then at the end of service, he turned me around and he said to all the people in the room, he said, now you come down and you greet Todd and you tell him how excited you are about his decision to follow Jesus. And all these elderly women came up and began to pinch me on the cheeks. That was, that was, I think I would, have, I would have gone to hell, to be honest with you, not to have endured that instead. I'm, I'm good to go. I get in the car, you know, I'm in the back seat, driving home, and I think, whew, dodged a bullet. Not going to hell now. No one told me how to pray. No one told me how to read my Bible. No one told me what a relationship with Jesus was about. This is what I thought. I just thought you need to just show up once a week. You punch your clock in for one hour, and you're good to go. And as long as your attendance is good, and at some point in time you've prayed this little prayer, that everything is absolutely super-duper trooper between you and the Lord. And so from the ages of nine to high school, there wasn't any difference in my life. Oh, I, I talked filthy. I was a little vandal. I got myself in all kinds of trouble. And I was so empty inside. Now, how can I be so empty if I've got Jesus in there? I was so empty and so confused. And I got to a point where I got suicidal. Even grabbed the gun. Even loaded it. But you never knew it. I'd put on a big front like everything was fine, everything was wonderful, but my whole world was caving in around me and I couldn't make sense of anything. I'd go to school and I'd act like I was cat cool. Everything was great, everything was wonderful, but inside I was dying. I was sitting in a typewriting class. Anybody remember typewriting class? Okay, you're old. Because now babies come out of the womb and just hand them a cell phone. They're good to go. You know what I'm saying? They, just, they got the texting thing down really good. A-S-D-F-J-K-L semicolon space. There's your primary keys, right? Sitting next to this girl, thought she was pretty, and so I was telling her all things that I wanted to do and where I wanted to take her and what I wanted to do with her, and basically I was being a jerk. I was being crass, and I was being dirty. And Bill Hill, <laughs> why would you name your kid Bill Hill? But a kid named Bill Hill turned around. Bill Hill, out of all the names you could name your kid, why would you name him a rhyming name? His sister's name was Jill, so that makes sense. Jill Hill and Bill Hill, you know, that's how it went. Bill Hill turned around, and he said, Todd, can I tell you how you can give your life to Jesus? I said, Bill Hill, Bill Hill, Bill Hill. <laughs> I go to church every Sunday. Sometimes I go on Sunday night. And sometimes I go on Wednesday night because I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and you never left church. You know what I mean? You just kept going and going and going and going and going. And this is what he said to me. I've changed my life. He said, why don't you act like it? If you're a Christian, why don't you act like it? And it rocked my world. And I went home and I, I went over to my mom and I said, Mom, um, can you help me find a Bible that would be easy for me to read? And that rocked her world. And after about 10 minutes, when she woke back up, 
we began looking around for a Bible, and we found one under my bed. I, I got it when I was graduated from fifth grade. It was a King James Version of the Bible. I think the cat had thrown up on it several times. Um, and so I, I began to open up the Bible, and I didn't know where to start, didn't know where to begin. So I was clueless. Gone to church my whole life, I'm clueless. And it didn't make any sense. Now, if you love the King James Version of the Bible, good for you. I don't understand it. Wherefore art thou, you goeth with me, we'll go with together with, okay, let's go with, okay, let's go with, let's go with. Right? Okayeth? And so I, 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 I shouted out to my mom. I said, Mothereth, <laughs> could you helpeth me if understandeth this booketh? Because it make no thing, senseeth to me, okayeth? And so my mom called the preacher and said, what, what kind of Bible should I get him? And he told her a version of the Bible. And so she went and she got me a version of this Bible and she brought it home. And I said, where should I start? And she said, start with the Gospel of John. And so I thought, all right, and so I found the Gospel of John. Chapter 1 is really weird. The first 11 verses kind of strange. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I was like, word up, word to your mother. What word are we talking about right here? But then I found out later on that the Word in the beginning was the Word is the word logos, which means Jesus in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was God, and Jesus Jesus was with God in the beginning. And once you understand that, I mean, it's all about the life story of Jesus, and I just couldn't put it down. And every page as I'm reading this thing and I'm watching him encounter with one person after another after another, he's speaking to me. It's like the word of God has come alive to me for the first time in my life. And I couldn't put it down. And I got to John chapter 14 and this is when I realized that I was not a follower of Jesus. Because Jesus says this phrase over and over and over again. Starting at verse uh, 21. It says, if you love me, You'll obey what I command. And then a little later he says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And then in verse 23 he says this, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And it was in that moment that I realized I knew some things about God, but I didn't know him personally. I didn't love him with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength. I wasn't living my life for him. I was using him. I was using him so I could go to heaven one day, but I didn't care about him. I didn't care about his purpose. I didn't care about his life. I didn't care about his death. I didn't care about his resurrection. I didn't know him. Do you know Bill Gates? No, you probably don't. You know of him. But you don't know him personally. It's the same way in your relationship with God. Some of us are missing salvation. I always say by 12 inches, you know about him. But you don't know him. And you don't love him and you don't serve him. You just give lip service to him. You, you, you are duct taping your life like I duct tape my life. And you're so empty inside because you've never committed yourself. You've never sacrificed yourself. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it means that you admit that you're a sinner. It means you do believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on a cross and he rose again from the dead. But it's so much more than that. It's a commitment of all that you are and all that you hope to be. Let's imagine for a second that you go to a wedding. And it's a beautiful wedding. I mean, it's a gorgeous wedding. And you're sitting there and you're watching this nice couple and they're just sharing their love and their devotion to each other. I mean, they are so committed to each other. You're like, oh my goodness, the passion in this room is intense. They need to get a room. In fact, I know they will in a couple of hours, right? 
It's like, wow, it's just so pure, the love they have for each other. And they're just, till death do them part. You know, they're sharing the vows for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. And you're like, you're buying into it. And the preacher announces Mr. and Mrs. And they go off on their honeymoon. You say, wow, that was a phenomenal wedding. Look at the commitment of those two young people. That was awesome. What would you think if a week later you found out that when they were on the honeymoon that the guy went off and cheated on the girl? Those words of devotion and passion, well, they wouldn't mean a whole lot, would they? And why wouldn't they mean a whole lot? Because his life didn't back it up. There's this passage of scripture in... uh, Luke chapter 6, where Jesus asked the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? You ever seen those TV shows where you get somebody, you know, they have an awards show, and, and they, somebody's put together a filthy movie or a dirty song, and they get an award for it. And the first thing they want to do is they want to give a shout out to God. They want to thank the man upstairs. And you just want to scream at the TV, why do you call him Lord, Lord, and not do what he says? Being a Christian is more than just the words that come out of your mouth. You back up the commitment with your life. Now listen to me. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Because none of us are ever going to be perfect. We sin every single day. But it's the attitude of your heart. It says, I want to honor him. I want to live my life for him. I know I'm not going to be perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but when I blow it, and I will, I repent of that. And why do I care enough to repent? Because I love him, and I know I've let him down. And I know that's not the way he wants me to live my life. And I have a relationship with him, and I hurt him. And if you've hurt somebody in a relationship, you need to apologize to the one that you've hurt. And so you go to him, and you say, I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I messed up. And and he says, you know what? I, I died for that. I shed my blood on the cross for that. I'm throwing your sin as far as the east is from the west. Come on, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's go strong. It's his love, his grace, his mercy that holds us together. But let let there be no doubt about it. When you come to Jesus, you're coming to die to yourself. You're laying down your life. You're surrendering your life. You're surrendering your will to his will. You're sacrificing everything for him. That's what it means to be a Christian. John Oris is a, was a pastor in Romania during the communist rule. And they went to the shroud of darkness, you know, they had to be, you know, be careful because the government didn't like them meeting together. And so they would come together and they would start to worship. And at the end of the service, many people would want to give their lives to Jesus. And John would always say the same thing. He said, now listen, I, I'm really excited at the fact that you want to give your life to Christ, but there's a cost involved here. And you need to weigh the cost. And so we have a class, it's three months long. We'd rather you go through the class before we just give you some little prayer and you think you're good to go. We want you to understand what it means to truly follow Jesus. We don't want you to just say you're following him and never follow him. And most of the people would go to the class. At the end of three months, there was a whole bunch of them that still wanted to give their life to Jesus. And John would always give the same speech every single time. He would say, okay, now this weekend, we're going to take you out to the river and we're going to baptize you. 
And when that happens, the informants are going to write your name down. And that's when the trouble is going to start. That's where you're going to understand the cost of what it is to follow Jesus. You're, you're, some of you are going to lose your jobs. Some of you are going to lose your families. Some of you are going to lose, you're going to lose your life. You're going to end up in prison because you proclaim that Jesus has risen again from the dead. Why, why did he do all that? Because he wanted those people to get to the point where following Jesus was more important than anything else the world affords. So I, I guess that's the question we've got to ask ourselves. Is following Jesus worth more to you than, than anything else the world affords? There's not a single verse of Scripture in the Bible that says that you can be a Christian and live any way you want to. You know that, right? So I don't want you to be deceived. And when you hold back 50% of your life from the Lord, he's upset about that. He wants the 50% too, the 50 that you're holding back. Even if you're at 95% devotion, let me explain something. God wants that 5% that you're holding back from him as well. Why? Because he knows that 5% will destroy you. It will absolutely ruin your life. And here's the thing about Jesus. When he calls us to be his followers, he doesn't mince any words, does he? He says things like this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. And they must take up their cross and they must follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. It's a strange way to do recruiting, don't you think? You would have thought Jesus would have softened his word because he cared about numbers. He didn't care about numbers. He cared about souls. And he didn't want anybody to be deceived as to what it meant to truly follow him, to be one of his followers, to be one of his disciples. And when he says you need to die, <laughs> take up your cross, People in the first century knew exactly what he's talking about. You see, we wear crosses like they're some piece of jewelry. In the first century, those people had seen thousands of people be crucified on a cross. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. You deny yourself. You take up your cross. What does that mean? You be willing to die. We wish Jesus would soften his words. He does not. Look at this passage. Those who love their life will lose it. While those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And that's the real issue for every one of us, isn't it? Do we believe that Jesus is worth following? C.S. Lewis was a theologian. He once said this, The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. If it's really true, then it deserves everything you've got. And if it's not true, you shouldn't be here right now. So let me ask you, are you following him? Or are you just saying you are? And do you have a relationship with him? Do you truly love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? And you get up every morning thinking of ways that you can please him and honor him. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect by any stretch of the imagination but the attitude of your heart is you want to live for him, you love him, and you want to serve him in everything that you say and everything that you do. And if you can say, that's me, Todd, then you have salvation. And if you say, oh, no, man, I just pray a little prayer. I'm just trying to do my time. I don't want anybody to tell me how to live my life and what to do. You're a faker. And you can keep faking it and be empty and lonely and lost as I was. Or you can allow Jesus to fix this area of your life. 
I hope you won't fake it anymore. But I hope today would be the day that you would fix it. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, serious stuff here. I don't don't want anybody to be deceived. I don't want anybody to stand before you on the day of judgment and for them to hear those, those words, I don't know you. I never had a relationship with you. Depart from me, you evil and wicked person. Lord, we have a way of deceiving ourselves to believe things that are true of us that simply aren't. And we faked it for so long. And we've faked it for so long, we don't even realize we're faking it. I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to every heart, every life, every individual. And Lord, that we would simply ask you the question, do I know you? And that you would affirm to us in our heart of hearts whether we really are who we say that we are. And Lord, I pray for people in this room who say, you know what, I don't know. I don't know that I have a relationship with Jesus. I pray for the people watching on TV, the people watching on the stream. If they don't have a relationship with you, if they have fooled themselves, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. Today would be the day they'd come clean. Please, God, your will be done in this moment. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.